All right, I need you to turn your Bibles tonight with me to the book of Jonah. We'd like to finish up that book tonight as we have... Uh, a, uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to studying the book of Genesis on Sunday night, but I did want to wait until we started congregating again uh, before we went back to the book of Genesis and our study there. But tonight I'd like to finish up our study on the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah. Also, I would like to say something personally to you. You know, just singing the song, I listen to you sing, and you being absent for a while, just wanted to uh, express sincerely the fact that I love you and I thank God for you. And man, I am so glad we're able to meet together again. And I know you can text me and I know you can call me, and but it's not the same. And I appreciate you. I appreciate your faithfulness in these days. And we are a blessed church. And I appreciate you very much. Just wanted to tell you that your pastor loves you. And I thank God for it. I just want you to know that. Alright? So if nobody else loves you, God loves you, and Brother Roger loves you, cares about you. So don't go home or thinking sometimes when you're in despair that nobody cares about you. It's not true. Just not true. Book of Jonah. When I preached on chapter number 1, I preached to you about a man out of place. How that when you are a man out of place, it creates problems for other people that you never even considered. And the Lord told him to go one direction, he went the opposite direction. It's a blessing when God speaks to your heart and makes the way clear and plain. Man, what a what, how awesome it would be if the Lord sent you a text tomorrow and told you exactly where he wanted you to go and what he wanted you to say. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, He may not have sent you a a text as far as your phone is concerned, but He has given you a text to read that will help you to know your direction that you ought to go. But I'm just saying that when you get out of place, or somebody in our family gets out of place, it creates chaos uh, for other people. And some folks get hurt real bad. Then the second thing in chapter number 2, I preached on a man of prayer. I'll say that God got him in a place where he had to pray. Don't wait for God to get you in a place where you have to pray. Stay in a place where you want to pray and that you choose to pray. He said, out of my affliction, I cried unto the Lord. David said, in my distress, I cried unto the Lord. Don't wait till the Lord afflicts you or you're in distress before you cry out to God. But I'll tell you one thing that Jonah did that I like about him is that he had great confidence in God. That he could call upon God when he was in that condition and he knew that God would keep his promises. And he did. Then chapter number 3, I spoke to you about a man in his place. And the importance of remaining in your place even when your heart is not in it 100%. You say, well, I don't want to be a, a hypocrite, nor do I wish for you to be a hypocrite. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. He went to Nineveh out of obedience to God. But he wasn't, I don't think you'd see Jonah grinning as he was walking through the city and said, hey man, I am glad to be here and i got good news for you. God's going to burn this place down. I'm happy about it. I don't think that's exactly the way he thought about it. I think maybe he even kind of begrudgingly went in there and said, Lord, if this is what i got to do, this is what i got to do. I just want to be in where, where you want me to be. 
And so sometimes, and please listen to this, this is critical. Remaining in place, even when your heart is out of place, is still important. Because what Jonah did, and, and the critical thing about you staying in your place, even when your heart's out of place, is that what you need to do is continue to do what you know is right. And number two, continue to represent the Lord well by saying what He wants you to say. As a parent, stay in your place. As a husband, as a wife, you'll notice he says in chapter 3, it says in verse number 2, he said, Arise, go into the enemy, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. And so when you know your heart's not right, or maybe your heart's not in some things, I'm talking about at home, I'm talking about at work, I'm talking about even at church, that you still need to stay in your place, and you need to say what the Lord wants you to say, even sometimes when you don't feel some of the things that you are saying. Is, is it right that God is faithful? Is it? Would it be right for a parent to say that to their children even when the parent may not have its heart set toward God being faithful to them, but it would still be right to say it to the child? Absolutely it would be because it's the truth. I'm not a hypocrite for saying the truth. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes you're not going to feel the truth, but you still got to speak the truth. And so I'm just encouraging you, stay in your place and don't be moved about by your emotions and your feelings about things and state the facts. And you'll never know what God may do to some of the people who are in your life who have no clue what's going on inside of you. But because you stayed in your place and they heard the truth, and they saw you stay in your place. It had a positive impact on their lives down the road. So, let's go to chapter 4. A man out of place, a man of prayer, a man in his place. In chapter 4, I want to speak to you tonight on a man of passion. A man of passion. Let's look at this. When I say the word passion, passion is a powerful emotion, such as love or anger. It can be a strong enthusiasm or interest in something. Some of the synonyms for passion, devotion, dedication, zeal, affection, anger. You're going to see that quite a few times in chapter 4. That will be the dominant word, anger. And even the word hate. Now listen, when it comes to passion, the greater love that you have for something, the deeper the hate will be for that which attempts to hurt it or destroy it. Okay? And so let's read on a few verses here. And, and uh, now the, the, the antonym for that word passion is apathy. And being lethargic, and being dull, and being disinterested, and being indifferent. You remember what the Lord said to the church at Laodicea? I would that you were hot or cold, but man, don't be indifferent. 
And so the Scripture says here in chapter 4, verse 1, but it displeased Jonah. Now, Jonah is displeased because God had mercy on this city that he was going to destroy. Because they repented, God repented. I can't tell you how many times I've seen preachers post on Facebook and other places that God has never repented. But it says in chapter 3, verse 10, God repented. God repented. He changed His mind about what He was going to do because they changed their minds of what they were doing. That gives me some hope. Chapter 4, verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was a little upset. Is that what your version says? No. The Word of God says he was very angry. Very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that Thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest Thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech Thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This guy's in bad shape, isn't he? Then said the Lord, Doest Thou well to be angry? Doest Thou well To be angry, we'll read those other verses there a little bit later on, but let's pray. Father, help me to be a blessing to my church family tonight. Lord, we know that you want to us to awake out of sleep, out of our slumber. And Lord, for us to be passionate believers. Lord, I pray you'd help us to find that divine balance. That we would not be lethargic. That we would not be passive. But that we would have, Lord, that which... You have that, Lord, you have that love and you have that hate. But help us to have it in the right direction. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, I know that some of you simply cannot comprehend that the Lord would want me to hate anything. But I'm telling you that He hates some things and I believe He wants me to hate some things. As a matter of fact, David said, I hate them with a perfect hatred. That's what he said. So there's a good hate and there's a bad hate. There's a good anger and there's a bad anger. Alright? So, in other words, uh, when it talks here about God in verse number 2, you know, he said this, he says, I knew this about you. He said, you're a gracious God. Do you think the Lord would have you to be a gracious Christian? Yes. Because it would be godly, wouldn't it? Do you think the Lord would like for you to be merciful? A merciful believer. Yes. That would be godly, wouldn't it? Well then, what about being slow to anger? Slow to anger. And now what it says in the book of Ephesians? That, that we should be, be careful about our anger, not to let our anger, uh, that we should be angry, but sin not. Let it not, let our, not, let it not let the sun go down upon our wrath. Okay, so here he says, and of great kindness and repentance thee of the evil. So to be godly is to have some passion. To care about some things. As a matter of fact, when you read Revelation chapter 2, verse number 6, you'll find that the Lord uh, says that there were some things there at the church at Ephesus that He hated. 
that he hated. And when you read about Nehemiah, the Scripture says that when he walked, he had to deal enough with the outside enemy, but when he saw how some of the people were treating each other, how they were abusing one another, the believers, the, the Jews, the Bible says he got very angry. But he didn't react without the facts. And that's the danger of anger if you react without the facts. And so the Bible says he drew back and he consulted with himself and then he made the decision to deal with them. And he did. And swiftly and severely. You know, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, when he uh, went into the temple and he saw what those people were doing, the Scripture says the zeal of the Lord ate him up. Have you ever said that? Boy, that just burns me up. Huh? You ever said that? That just burns me up. That gets my goat. That just stirs me up. That makes me so angry. Well, every once in a while, you ought to get mad. Every once in a while, you ought to get upset. But be sure it's at the right things. Be a person of passion. And I believe that the Lord would be pleased with that. I think the Lord wants you not to be a spectator, but a participator, not to be neutral nor passive. And so in this passage of Scripture, I want you to study here with me now about, about being a man of passion. Are there some things about Jonah that you need to appreciate? Why is he so angry? Is it because he's just a, just got a bad temper? Now there are some guys that do have that problem and they trouble their own house. They have a bad temper. And it's a selfish anger. It's always about me and me not getting my way, so I get mad. But that is not his problem. At least part of it's not it. Part of it. When in chapter four, verse number one, he says, Jonah, it says, this pleased Jonah exceedingly because he was very angry. I'm going to tell you why he was angry. It's because he was a patriot. Do you understand? A patriot. I don't normally bring my phone up here, so forgive me. And uh, I'm not, uh, I've got some quotes here that I want to give you. And uh, it was too, too, they're too long for me to write down, or either I'm too lazy to write them down. I'm not sure which one it is. Don't, no comments over there. I, I am, I am agitated. And sometimes even angry when I listen to the news and watch the news of what is going on and what is happening to my nation. What is happening to some of the churches in America are just simply trying to have a, a public service. I, I Listen, listen to what someone said. I want you to tell me who you think this was that said this. The best way to take control over a people and control them utterly is to take a little of their freedom at a time, to erode rights by a thousand tiny and almost imperceptible reductions. In this way, the people will not see those rights and freedoms being removed until past the point at which these changes cannot be reversed. Does anyone know who this is, who said this? Adolf Hitler said those things. And again, it's about incremental things. This is a quote by Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Rebecca Bradley. This was this past week. She said, Where in the Constitution 
Did the people of Wisconsin confer the authority on a single, unelected cabinet secretary to compel almost six million people to stay at home and close their businesses and face imprisonment if they do not comply? With no input from the legislature without the consent of the people, isn't it the very definition of tyranny for one person to order people to be imprisoned for going to work among other ordinarily lawful activities? And I say, yes. And I say that those kind of things, I have to be careful. Matter of fact, I've probably watched less news in the past uh, three or four weeks than I have in the past three or four months or even years because I get so upset and angry at what these people are doing to our nation. Now, the reason I get angry is because I love my country. And I hate those who are attempting to destroy this nation. And I want my grandchildren to be able to come up in a country that at least looks a little bit like what I grew up in. But I see it changing, and I see it changing quickly. And it, and I'm fearful for it. And I'm here to say that I think that being a patriot is a good thing. And I think that you should get angry at some things. Matter of fact, the scripture says that an angry countenance driveth away a backbiting tongue. So is it all right if you see flashes of anger in my eyes at someone who is running their mouth and sowing discord and saying something that is going to hurt this church? Are they saying something about you and your family that I know if it gets back to you, it is going to be offensive and harmful and hurtful? Is it all right if I get a little bit upset with them and angry with them because I know the damage that they are doing? I think it's okay. I think the Lord's pleased with that. The Bible, matter of fact, the Old Testament prophets said that preachers sometimes can be like dumb dogs. And I'm not talking about them being illiterate. I'm talking about them not barking when they're supposed to bark. A sheepdog was to protect the flock. And he was to watch out for the wolves. And I think that you should be upset and angry from time to time when somebody threatens the unity of your family. I think you ought to get upset. Ladies, do you ever get upset when another woman flirts with your husband? Or do you just sit back and say, Well, no, that's, I, I understand, you know. I just, you know, it's okay. I, I like him too. That's pretty dumb. I'd say that you really don't, really, 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 really don't love him and care that much about him. You'd just soon her just take him on. You'd have an excuse to move on. That's exactly right. And fellas, do you have a problem sometimes if a man uh, begins to be too friendly or too suggestive around your wife or your daughter? Hmm? You think it'd be all right if a man were to inappropriately touch your wife or your daughter for you to take him out back in Jesus' name and beat the devil out of it? And if you don't agree with that, then just go ahead and do it and then ask the Lord to forgive you. Because, I mean, He's asked me to forgive you 70 times 7. I hope I don't get in trouble with the Lord for saying that. 
But do you understand there ought to be something in you that pushes your buttons? And not about self, selfish things, but good things. Good things. You ought to love your church, you ought to love your country, you ought to love your family. And I mean, you ought, you ought to do what you can to protect it. But let's move on and look at this right here tonight for just a moment. Alright, because he is a very, very angry man. And he is angry with, with the fact that the Lord has forgiven this nation because he loves Israel and he knows this nation is a threat to his country. He knows that. So, again, we're talking about a righteous anger. And you know, someone said, do not teach others never to be angry. I think some parents have swallowed some of the philosophies of the world. Someone said, do not teach others never to be angry, but teach them how and when to be angry. Amen. Because anger, buddy, can can restrain some things. That's for sure. So, it reveals the things that you really care about in your heart. And so, let's look at uh, what he says here in verse number 3. He says, but this is the wrong kind of anger. He said, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You'll notice how that there's a me problem here. And the Lord said, Doest thou well to be angry? So obviously, the Lord thinks that maybe his passion and his patriotism has blinded him uh, to the big picture of God being sovereign and having the free will of his own power to choose when to be merciful and who to be merciful to because he's a little bit smarter than Jonah is. And verse 5 says, So Jonah, Jonah didn't even answer him. When God deals with your heart, do you always immediately respond? Or do sometimes you just kind of push it back and push it back, but it keeps gnawing at you and it keeps working on you? Well, the Bible says to him, he said, Lord, he said, doest thou well to be angry? Do you have a right to throw a fit like this, son? Are you really? Really? Do you have a right to be angry? Jonah didn't say a word. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. It's almost like he was hoping that maybe their repentance wasn't real. Maybe they would backslide real fast, and then God would change his mind again and just smoke them. Verse 6 says, and the Lord God, now listen, the Lord now is, instead of working on the city, God's working on His servant. And it appears as if it was easier to work on the city than it was on His servant. Verse 6 says, and the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So did God care about his grief? Yes. But was God trying to teach him a lesson while he was grieving? Yes. And the Scripture says, So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Do you see the swings of emotion of this guy? And that, that is what happens with people who do have some passion. They do swing from one to the other. They can be excited about something and rejoice in some things. Or they can be exceedingly angry and upset about some things. What the Lord doesn't want His people to be is like a wooden Indian with no response to these things. So He was exceedingly glad of the gourd. So He's now got a shade. 
But God has a plan. God has prepared these things to teach His servant and His child, His prophet, whom He appreciates. Listen, by the way, He is God's prophet. He is God's man. And God used him, I think, because of his passion and his patriotism to prophesy some things. The Scripture says God prepared a gourd. And verse number 7, God prepared a worm. Verse 8 says God prepared a vehement east wind. And over in the earlier chapters, when he got in trouble, God had prepared a storm. So the Lord is providentially, we sung a song tonight, and I appreciate it, He leadeth me. He leadeth me. It's not the Lord working in this man's life. There are some things that God is doing that that is out of His control. And God's preparing it ahead of time to work in His life. I wonder what the Lord's doing in our lives. I wonder what He's doing to try to adjust our attitudes. I wonder what it is that God is, has prepared in your life to teach you something about yourself and your global view and God's view about the souls of men. Because if you're not careful, you could get this lily pad mentality where all you care about is you and yours, me and mine. And that's why you get upset if somebody touches anything that's yours because you're not really concerned about anybody else other than what is yours and makes you happy. That's a bad attitude. That's a real bad attitude. There's always a risk involved in ministering to people, but yet you still have to obey God and leave the the rest of it in the hands of God as far as if they get saved or not. But look what he says here in verse number 7. But God prepared a worm. So it looks to me like in verse number 6, if you believe God prepared a gourd and... uh, that God did that. So, oh man, God is good and God is good all the time. That's what he was saying right there. And then verse number 7 says, but God prepared a worm. The same God who prepared the gourd is the same God who prepared the worm. Who ate the gourd. He says, when the morning arose the next day, it smote the gourd that it withered. And I think he's probably saying, man, if I don't have any bad luck, I have no luck at all. He'd been watching he haul when he was a kid. Verse 8 says, And it came to pass when the sun did rise that the Lord prepared of him an east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die. And he says that quite often. And said, It is better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he answered that question. He did not answer that question about being angry about God sparing the city. When it came to others, he didn't answer God. But he says, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry and even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. You know what he shows him there? That man, he said, You are only 
Right now, all you can see is the temporal things, the temporary things. And it's the temporary things that matter to you. But it is the eternal things that matter to me. And he said, and I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but God has to remind me of that. Because I can get caught up in everyday life and forget about the souls and the immortality of a man's soul. But as long as I've got all my ducks in a row and things are going well at the house and things are going well at the church, I don't, sometimes I don't see men anymore like God sees them. God has to shake my tree. And the Bible says, He says, you don't care, you said you care about all of this stuff that just lasted a few days. And verse 11, it should, should I, should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. I don't think he was talking about a bunch of retards in that city. And if you study about that city along that time in history, it is estimated the population to be around 500 to 600,000. So when you see that 120,000, that is similar to the language that is used when Moses was talking about children who have not yet learned the difference between good and evil. And I think that it's possible the Lord is letting him know that there's some people in that city who do not, who are ignorant and who have not yet made some choices of what was going on in that city. Possibly children that we're talking about here. I don't know that for a fact, but I do know, he says, they cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. So unless there's something mentally wrong with them, I would say that they must be youth. You can ask some of these children in here that are very young, which, where's your, put up your right hand. Well, they're gonna, they don't know which one's the right hand. They don't. Do you understand that the Lord is saying here that, hey, look, I see what you don't see. I need you to see what I see. I need you to see what I see. And sometimes, folks, listen to me. Sometimes you get real upset at some people that may come and visit with us, may even join up with us. And sometimes they may cause us some problems. And sometimes you may want me to deal with them, and I pray for wisdom of how to deal with them, especially if they're going to cause uh, damage to the church. Sometimes, however, it is God has put them there for us to understand that though they may be trouble, or should I say at least they're not an asset, they're, they are just consumers, you have to look, sometimes look beyond them. And it might be those children that God are after that are in that family. That it might be that teenager. That it might be that other person in there. And that it can't just be because it's convenient for us to ask them to move on down the road. It has also been my experience that if I have the right attitude about it, and I pray about it, and it's kind of a gray area with that family, that usually the Lord will take care of that. And that they will then move on down the road. And listen, when God moves somebody on down the road, you need to leave them alone. Hold on a minute. Amen, Brother Roger. 
Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to encourage people who get discouraged. So don't read something into that that's not there. Okay, because I hate it when people leave. I grieve when people leave. Most of the time. Okay? But not all the time. Especially when they might be stirring up trouble and hurting you. Then I'm not too discouraged about that. What I would rather them do is humble themselves and just get in and get after it and be a blessing to the assembly. That's what I'd prefer. And so I'm just simply saying that if you stay in a church very long, 5, 10, 15, some of you have been here 20, 30 years, thank God for your faithfulness. But if you stay in the house of God, you're going to see people come and go and stay. You're going to have some come and stay, and some are going to come and some are going to go. That's part of it. And you know what? You can learn from all of that. And what you want to do is you want to be able to be like it. God said to Jonah, said, look, sometimes look beyond the person that's irritating you and see if there's somebody that can be rescued in that family. And it might be that wife that needs rescue. Who's married to a Nabal. Amen? It could be the other way around. But the Lord is saying, I see some children that can be reached. I see some children that can be reached. Now, again, Jonah had to have an attitude adjustment and needed some grace. But I will say to you that his biggest problem was being short-sighted. Because God had a work He wanted to do in that city and God and Jonah wanted God to do it right now. God did judge them 150 years later. He did. 150 years is nothing to God. 150 years, that's, that's just like, hmm, just like that. But for us, we won't even be around when it happens. Can you serve God and not see the consequences of your work? Hmm? Can you do what, if you're in your place, and you stay in your place, and you do what God's called you to do, you may not see the consequences and the impact that you had of being faithful. But here he is doing what God's called him to do. That's why I think it's so important for moms and dads to stay in their place. And for men and women in their church stay in their place. And so I just want to encourage you tonight. And as I see this man being, I think, short-sighted, God had to teach him a few things to help him to see that. Because what you have here is a rebuke from the Lord to this prophet. This prophet is used to rebuking everybody else. And God rebuked him. He said, son, you've got a problem. And it's a me problem. It's a me problem. He said, but Lord, I'd just rather die. Now, you know what that is? That's a, that's a pouting prophet. He said, he basically went off somewhere and he, he said, Lord, do you, do you do well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry. He said, matter of fact, I, I'd rather just die. This is the way it's going to be. I can see him under that tree with his lip pooched way out. Can you tell when somebody's upset? Uh, do, do you, do you, um, let me see, I, I looked up that word pout. Where did I do that word pout? Where's that definition for the word pout? What did I do with it? Oh, because when I was studying this, I thought, well, you know, Jonah was a passionate prophet. He was a passionate patriot. I said, you know, he also was a passionate powder. That word means to sulk. <laughs> 
Have you ever gone in the house and say, what's the matter? Nothing. Nothing. Sometimes it says the word pout means to show displeasure by manifesting it by thrusting out the lids. Or to be moodily silent. Hmm. I wonder how many, I'm seeing some of y'all grin. I'm wondering how you can tell if members of your family are a little upset about something because they just quiet. And I mean, I don't mean a pleasant quiet. <laughs> you know, there is a pleasant quietness. But then there is a pouting silence and a poochie lip. Now, kids, you know that song. The poochie lip will get you if you start to pout. And the poochie lip will get you don't watch out. I believe he was doing that because he was all sulking because he did not get this man is not a child. This is a man of God. And he loves Israel and he hates the enemies of Israel. His God disappointed him. Do you hear me? His God And his God's behavior disappointed him. And to me, that is the very essence of a proud heart. And a selfish heart. Because God does not ask you or I and our opinion of how and when he deals with certain people. And sometimes when you think that God ought to chasten somebody and teach them a lesson, next thing you hear, God has richly blessed him. Sometimes it is the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. It is not always affliction. Sometimes it's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. The bottom line is, would you as a church, would you at least care about what's going on around you in your country? Would you at least care what's going on inside your family? Don't act like a robot. Care. Is it alright to get mad at home sometimes? If injustice and evil is occurring, it's okay. It's alright. Care about your church. Care about your family. And care about the nation which you live and the people that God's put in your life that need to be born again. See past what irritates you about them. And sometimes what you even hate about. May God have mercy upon us and may we be passionate about the right things and may we find that balance of looking at the eternal more than the temporary. Let's stand together, please. Father in heaven, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll bless the preaching and teaching of your word today, Lord, about your coming and Lord, about our attitudes and our passion. Lord, I thank you that we have some good men and women in here that love you, who care, and they show it. And Lord, even occasionally, we might show flashes of anger because we get out of whack about something. But 
God, thank you at least that there is some passion in the heart of that man and that woman. Help us, Lord, that when we get angry, that we've done well to be angry. We love you and we need you. We praise you in Jesus' name.